Echo's Box Podcast is not meant to be or claiming to be a good place for therapeutic advice. The host is not a licensed therapist and is not offering any services or advice related to mental health in a professional manner. The content discussed on Echo's Box is commonly highly explicit due to the real nature of expressing honest emotions. While we don't mean to offend anyone, the reality is these discussions might be triggering to many people. Out of respect for all, please do not listen if this content isn't right for you, and forgive us if you have a poor experience. Keep your brain healthy. Welcome back to the Echoes Box Podcast. You were just listening to a sneak preview of my song, Patron. If you've uh, heard episode 18 already, then you already heard a part of the song before, but I'm including it in this episode intro because, well, we just shot a music video for that exact song the day before I'm recording this this episode. So I just want an excuse to mention that. Uh, so that video will be out around the second week of April. So just keep your eyes peeled for it over at It's Jones Music on Instagram and TikTok Jones Music over on TikTok. All right, with only a little further delay, welcome to episode 20, A Dark Song. Now, I know I missed the episode in February, but I got a lot going on. I'm trying to buy a house right now and move soon, so we get in episodes where we can when we can. So just wish me luck on that, and if things are going well, that means you'll get two episodes in March instead of one to make up for it. All right, so today I wanted to talk about a movie that I watched recently that I thought was very interesting. As you may have figured it out by now, the name of this episode is the same name as the movie, and it's a movie called A Dark Song. Now, the reason I wanted to talk about this movie is twofold. One, it's a movie that involves a very well-known infamous ritual and ceremonial magic called the Abramelin ritual. I say well-known, it's well-known if you're into this sort of thing, otherwise this is brand new to you. Uh, but the Abramelin ritual is a, is a well-known ritual on ceremonial magic in general occult spaces. This movie is centers this as like the crux of what's going on in it. It kind of drives the whole movie. And the other reason is it has many themes of mental health and tragedy struggles that I think were laid out very well. Now, we're mostly going to be talking about the first reason, just all the, the ritual stuff. Uh, but at the very end, I'm going to tie in all the mental health stuff to close this out because that's actually what's important here. Okay, so... Obviously, I'm not a movie critic. If that wasn't obvious, here you go. I'm not a movie critic. Uh, So I'm not here to tell you to watch this movie or even damn it as hot garbage. But if you want my personal honest opinion, it's just an okay movie. Now, I personally enjoyed it a lot, but it wasn't something I go around and recommend to the general public. If you're super into the occult or ceremonial magic and you like psychological thrillers, then this is a solid movie and you'll probably really enjoy it. However, It's nothing amazing objectively. If I didn't enjoy those things myself, I probably wouldn't have liked it as much. Now, as a thriller on its own, it does a decent job. I think it fits into the category well. It's just nothing amazing or outstanding, but it does a good job. It's not really scary per se. It's just jarring and interesting, which one could argue is kind of more of the point of the thriller. It's not about like jump scares or anything like that. Uh, So it does fit well, and it is is jarring and interesting. Uh, I would also say that If you have a weak stomach for violence or sexual abuse of any sort, then maybe steer clear. 
just wanted to say that for keeping other folks' mental health and traumas in mind. Obviously, you can never please or cater to everyone, and art is art. Everything portrayed is valid. Uh, there's nothing wrong with any of it, but people have different sensibilities in what they're able to stomach. Nothing in the, the film is, is outright obtuse. It's all fairly mild. Uh, it's just more of something that might make someone say, you gross, versus outright like scenes of murder and rape. There's nothing like that in there. Uh, but it is still very much in there. And this is very much a mature film for a mature audience. Now, if you're listening to this podcast, you should already fall into that scope of understanding per our usual disclaimer. But the internet's the Wild West. So there you go. Just wanted to get that out of the way. So yeah, not one of the greatest movies ever on its own, but it's not bad. And I do generally recommend it if you like that sort of thing. But again... I'm no critic, so take that for what it's worth as a personal opinion. What it does do very well, though, that I am educated on, is portraying the procedure of the Abramelin ritual. It does so with decent enough accuracy while taking what I would see as very fair liberties to make it both cinematically interesting as well as interesting in terms of adding in those spooky elements that you'd expect from a thriller. It does all that really, really well. Can't say enough about that. Really good. So... When I go over what it gets wrong next, I do so with a very light critique. While I have a lot to say, it's not really a jab at the movie. It's just really analytical for educational purposes. But ultimately, this is a movie, and ceremonial magic of any sort isn't exactly interesting to watch. What it gets wrong hopefully will kind of expound on its own why just watching a ritual would just be boring. Uh, But ultimately, all the things it did to be a good movie, it did well. So... Not taking the jab at any means, this is mostly just to be analytical about it. Before I go any further, I'm just going to go ahead and state a spoiler warning. I don't think I'm actually going to spoil anything too important, but I'm also not thinking too hard about the movie plot points since this isn't like a movie review. But I just wanted to state that in case you wanted to watch the movie first before listening further. So spoiler warning starts now. Go go back. Don't don't cross if you don't want to cross over now. Go watch the movie if you want to watch it. All right, let's go. So, throughout the movie, the magician that helps the main character conduct this ritual makes several assertions about the ritual itself. The first is that it is essentially founded on ideas of Gnosticism rather than the Kabbalah. So, in preparation for this ritual, the main character actually does a lot of research online about the Abramelin ritual itself so they know the ideal prerequisites to perform going into it. This includes trying to identify an ideal house or working space, following an ideal diet, and researching various topics related to Kabbalah and uh, Hermeticism. So, when the main character brings up that she understands Kabbalah in the movie, the magician calls this out and states, quote, this isn't the Kabbalah, and then begins to tie in his Gnostic ideas into the ritual's foundations. Now, this ritual isn't Kabbalistic inherently at all. That is true. It's not really Gnostic either, though. In fact, we have no clue where this ritual actually comes from. It's famous or infamous, depending on your perspective, in every historical context that we have uh, as being related to Jewish mysticism, because it's known to us that the original author derived this ritual after studying ceremonial magic with a handful of Jewish teachers via the Kabbalah before finding someone that taught them this ritual specifically, or at least so one variant of the story tells anyway. These details change slightly depending on the version of the story told, but what is consistent out of all of these stories is the ritual itself, at least mostly. I hesitate to state anything as concrete fact because at least from a standpoint of scholarship, this ritual is shrouded in mystery. We actually don't know where it comes from or how it got there. 
all we have is what we have. So it's hard to call any of it fact, but the reality is we do have the output of it regardless of its origins. So no, it's not the Kabbalah, <laughs> uh, but it's, it's no Gnostic creation either. In fact, I'd argue it's closer to Kabbalistic ideas than that of Gnostic mysticism. But I'd also argue that it really doesn't matter since it wholesale doesn't come from either directly. It's kind of stands on its own. It's, it's just ceremonial magic. It's kind of cool. Um, but he also states that sex magic is part of the ritual. It's not. Quite the opposite, actually. But that's one of those eerie plot points put there on purpose. He states this initially to test the main character's determination and drive to see if she's really in line with her will and is willing to do whatever the ritual requires of her. But he also knows that this isn't part of it and is testing her knowledge on that as well. So I'll leave that in for suspense because that's one of those major plot point things to pay attention to as it comes up again uh, later on during the movie. The other thing mentioned is that this magician has performed this ritual twice before. In one instance, he claimed it worked, and in another, he said it did. Now, it's unclear if he did both of these on his own or not, but the movie seems to suggest that at least one of these other occasions, he had guided someone or conducted it alongside someone else and is now doing it again and instructing her. This loosely establishes his credentials for being qualified to lead someone else to this ritual and is, is part of why the main character selected this particular magician. However, this is something that actually isn't ideal. No ritual can really be conducted by leading someone through it. The work has to be done by the individual doing it and the output will only be experienced by the individual doing it. You can teach someone a ritual. But whether you're in the room or not, guiding them isn't a realistic factor. In fact, it could be a hindrance and a distraction depending on what the ritual is. Most, if not all, ceremonial magic is just fancy meditation. At least that's how I like to describe it to those who are new to the topic. With this, there are some ritual works that can be done in a guided format, for sure. But these are usually practices that the individual learning the practice from a teacher will take with them and then continuously do the work on their own thereafter. Kind of like learning how to solve a math problem in a class and then taking a test to apply what you've learned on your own. That on your own is like the most critical thing. So you can be taught, you can be guided. I'm not saying that that's not realistic or possible. I'm just saying it's not ideal and ultimately not how things are conducted in a practice over time. There are also rituals that can be done in a group setting. Most rituals, in fact, can be adapted to a group setting. The Abramelin ritual just isn't one that's ideal for this. Now, magic in general has no real rules. It's full of infinite possibilities. So one can totally attempt to conduct the same ritual alongside another person for their own purposes and then not affect the other person at all, or even do it in tandem for that desired effect. But it's simply not ideal for the purposes of this specific ritual, and it would take immense discipline and focus to do so. But definitely is a thing and all things are possible. So I'd say that if you were to turn the Abramelin uh, into a group activity, following along with how this magician does so in the movie is totally the wrong approach. There's, I'm sure there's a way to do it because like I said, anything's possible, uh, but this definitely is not the way to do it. So not ideal. And the reason that this is important to state is that there's this theme that occurs. So by guiding the main character through this ritual, it is stated over and over again that the magician guiding her will get the benefit of the ritual as well. 
the benefit in this case is that their holy guardian angel will grant them whatever their focus is. Basically treating the angel as a granter of a wish. Any wish they want, as long as it is true to their will that they had going into the ritual. Now, this is where things are just not true. Many practitioners do acknowledge the Abramelin ritual as a ritual that ensures that the practitioner will make contact and establish a relationship of some sort with their holy guardian angel. This is an important concept to ceremonial magicians, and I talk about it more in my book, Fundamental Magic, so go check that out. It's on, on the echoesbox.com website. But the short on that is the holy guardian angel is just essentially an idea that represents a higher state of consciousness. In some Eastern traditions, this is akin to starting the process of becoming enlightened. Ceremonial magicians use this idea as it represents uh, a form of an actual energetic entity outside of themselves that is just, in this case, a very powerful angel. But this idea is there because it's often easier to conceptualize something greater than ourselves if it's not literally us. So even though it represents something that we're going to achieve as a practitioner, we're not seeing ourselves in that. We're seeing something that represents that. And then therefore that makes it easier as a concept to grasp onto the enlightenment and awaken oneself quicker because it's just easier to grasp and acknowledge as if we're receiving it from something outside of ourselves. Even if it is maybe just us after all, something to consider, but that's what it represents ultimately. That said, Making contact with one's holy guardian angel is just a small piece of the Abram Allen ritual. And it is certainly not for the purposes of making a wish. That is far from the point of the ritual. However, for the sake of the movie, the magician explicitly argues against everything I just stated and calls all of it false. Because you can read all this online and this is part of what he probably assumed that the, uh, the main character read about. And he's just going ahead and knocking all these ideas out of her head as it's something more scary. In fact, he states that the holy guardian angel is explicitly not a higher consciousness and that angels and demons are very real and all of this is very real and no longer just Kabbalistic ideas or spiritual enlightenment. Now, I'd actually also agree that as a practitioner, these entities are very real, but the ideas they represent are what make them real. So it's more about the idea than it is the actual entity, but I would agree that they are very real things. It is very real energy. It does manifest as something very real, uh, whatever you want to acknowledge it as, being an angel or a plate of spaghetti. That, doesn't, that part doesn't matter to me. It's the idea that's more important, but it is very real, and I would agree with that. Uh, so if you do subscribe to a path of ceremonial magic, then you likely believe, as I do, that the Holy Guardian Angel is a very real entity and its energy is a very powerful and necessary one to help one achieve their true will. Now that said, it is still a representation of the idea of enlightenment. The whole reason a magician wants to establish this connection is to reach the state of consciousness. But it's important to acknowledge that the baseline psychological idea is there, with or without this idea of an angel. You don't have to believe in that to acknowledge this idea. That's what's there. Because this experience is unique to every individual. It's not necessarily as blaring as maybe it sounds talking about angels and demons and gods and all that kind of crap. It's very unique to the individual and, and therefore the psychological idea is what's kind of core to all of it. It's really the center. And I can actually almost assure you that if you were in the room with another individual when they make contact with their holy guardian angel, you wouldn't see anything at all. No flashing lights, no big winged creature, nothing. It's very much an individual experience. 
the individual experiencing it may totally experience any sort of wild visual. Or it may just be a jarring state of mind switch where they all of a sudden know things or realize things that they did not before. It's different for everyone, and it's not necessarily some supernatural or horror type of experience. Although, while I state all that, I also acknowledge anything is possible. So if that happens to you, and maybe you're someone in the room seeing it, then I'd say that's very interesting, and I hope you took pictures or something, because hell yeah, spooky supernatural shit. So <laughs> just keep that in mind. It is real, but it's also metaphysical. This means that it is abstract. It's not inherently observable, even if sometimes maybe it is. And the concepts and ideas and what's known about it all are what is most important to the point of it all. One going through the Abramelin ritual is meant to visualize and experience very real situations involving overcoming ideas of angels and demons. And there's no telling what your own personal psyche will make of all that. It could look just like the movie, but it probably won't. And while it may still be intense and maybe even scary for some individuals, it likely won't be like a horror theme type thing. It's not going to be driven that way. It's, it's really just up to your own individual interpretation what occurs. So it could be intense, but intense doesn't necessarily equal scary, and it's all up to the individual experience. That's another thing the movie both misses the mark on, but also somehow absolutely nails at the same time. You see, performing magic puts you in the driver's seat of your own life. This means going into any ritual, even something as complex as the Abramelin ritual, is something that you control. You can stop at any time, for any reason, and you realistically have nothing to fear. It's all up to you. Now, that's where it gets this wrong. This, this idea that a ritual cannot be stopped once it's started. This is an idea that the movie introduces very quickly into going into this. It's emphasized on several times by the magician that's leading the, the main character. Um, this is just crap. You can always stop a ritual, any ritual at all. Any, any kind of ritual can be abruptly stopped because of any reason you choose. You're a human being. That said, you should, for your own psyche, close out and cleanse the space. But stopping a ritual of any sort is not going to open some sort of portal to hell or trap you in a never-ending loop of being stuck, the latter of which happens in the movie at one point. But just ground yourself and try again later. It's basically as simple as that. But you, you do need to do what you need to do for your own mind, as that's what's being altered ultimately. The only reason you'd ever experience something negative as, as a result of cutting any ritual short is because you believe you did so and therefore bring that upon yourself. So grounding yourself to make sure your clear mind is critical and no matter what cleansing or grounding technique you use to do so, it's whatever benefits you to get you in the right state of mind and get you out of that. Because I'm not saying bad things can't happen as the result of these things. I'm saying they're going to be caused by you. So you prevent them by taking the necessary actions that put you in the right headspace. So you know it's, it's not really a problem. You're in control. That's the whole point. So, yeah, you're, all the stuff the movie portrays about cutting a ritual short or, or stopping a ritual early is just bullshit. That's not how it works. In myth, though, when the infamous Aleister Crowley did the Abramelin ritual himself, some say that he did it incorrectly and then subsequently caused events that led to one of the world wars. I think it was World War II, but don't quote me on that. I'm speaking off the dome. That's likely a load of bullshit, but it's fun to speculate the consequences of not cleaning up after yourself. More likely, had he done it incorrectly, he probably had a negative impact on himself. And if he did not clean up after himself spiritually, 
then that could also have other implications whether he did the ritual correctly or not. But the, all of this it just assumes too much. Uh, for one, it assumes that he did not do the ritual correctly. And for two, it assumes that he didn't cleanse afterwards, both of which are just totally up in the air. All of this is just kind of fun thought exercises at this point and can never be proven. But there's a lot of assumptions here. You know, we can assume he didn't do it correctly. There is some kind of evidence back and forth for that. Uh, but it's all kind of uh, just, to me, it's very thin. And then the assuming that he didn't cleanse after himself just at all, uh, that's one where I call bullshit because in all Crowley was, he was a very experienced magician. So I feel like he would have done that. But again, that's a feeling. I'm assuming both ways there. So all of this I call bullshit on, <laughs> but I'm not I'm not here to tell you what to think. I know this is a, a fun topic that uh, people have just a lot of uh, good fun talking about, and I don't want to be that party pooper. This is all just my, my personal opinion, not a scholarly critique on uh, Crowley's history with the Abram Mellon ritual, but lots of things we're assuming there. Just wanted to point that out, but it is fun. Uh, I don't deny that. All right, so where the movie gets this concept right, though, is about the idea of control. The main character demonstrates this so very well for someone who is not a practitioner of ceremonial magic. She understands that throughout the ritual that the bad things that happen aren't necessarily real, almost to a point where at first she thinks the ritual isn't working at all and just wants to stop. But later on, it gets to a point where she's faced with this voice of her dead son, and she knows that it's just a demon testing her. And she entertains it emotionally, but she very clearly at no point gives in or, or acknowledges or is tricked by it. The whole time, she demonstrates amazing will and knowledge that this is just a trick and it has to be overcome. And she knows it the whole time, which is awesome. I think that is, is beautiful. I thought that was a, just an excellent execution. And it's important because any individual, whether you're doing the Abramelian ritual or just doing some really serious fucking shadow work on yourself, you may experience very harrowing scenarios within your mind when you're doing that. And the point is to overcome those and stay in control. And like in the case of shadow work, at least to heal ultimately. It's to be in control, to gather yourself, to grow, to love and accept and heal. Now that's shadow work specifically, but any ritual that calls for overcoming something that may be scary, you're always in control. So whether that's a feeling of severe self-loathing or an actual manifestation of a spooky voice, knowing that you're in charge and what you're experiencing is from you and in your control is critical in all ritual work, not just ones that are meant to bring forth challenges purposefully. Remember, you did the work, it's all from you. You're in complete control. All right, so back to the goal of the Abram Mellon ritual. Like I said, establishing contact with the Holy Guardian Angel is not the point of this ritual. It's a critical step in the ritual, but it's, it's just not the point. There's actually a lot more to it. The Abram Mellon ritual also isn't the only way to achieve this contact. In fact, any ritual could make contact with your Holy Guardian Angel happen. It's a, just a core tenet if you are following a standard ceremonial magic practice. Almost all of your work should be bringing you closer to achieving that until it happens. It could happen one day while, say, you're trying to invoke the whole shim operation, or maybe it happens when you're doing the lesser banishing ritual of the pentagram, or maybe simply while meditating in silence. Hell, it could even happen while walking down the aisle of a grocery store. I stole that line paraphrase from Damian Nichols. But the point is the Abram Mellon ritual isn't necessary in this contact at all. It will always happen when it's meant to happen as it's meant to happen. Some practitioners naively view the Abramelon ritual as simply a surefire way to make it so, as it's 
a requirement of the ritual to have that contact. And while I say that view is kind of naive, it is still true. It's just kind of an overly complicated way to go about doing so if you ask me. But do what thou wilt. There's nothing wrong with any of it. Besides, who am I to say that conducting that ritual isn't how any specific individual was or was not supposed to receive that contact? Totally could be the right path for anyone. It's entirely up to you. Okay, so enough about the Holy Guardian Angel for now. That'll come back up in a minute. Um, if, if that's not the point of the ritual, if contacting your Holy Guardian Angel isn't the point of the ritual, then what is? Well, in oversimplified terms, the actual point is to conquer several archdemons of hell and then use their power to execute your true will indefinitely. See, after completing the Abramelon ritual, it is said that you can use this power to do anything you wish in the context of each demon's domain. Some of them represent wealth, some of them represent, I guess, like love and power, strength. There's lots of different representations, but within each domain, you can kind of do whatever you want and have complete control over those things. And in some variants of this text, they uh, provide this concept of uh, magic squares, which are these kind of types of symbol puzzles, uh, and they're said to only work after conducting the ritual. So you can go ahead and read the text and learn how to do them, but it's said that they won't even work for you if you haven't done this ritual. Alternatively, once you've completed it, you can just utilize the power like you would in any other metaphysical or energetic work or other ritual work. These fancy magic squares are just kind of like hands-on sigil puzzle-like approaches uh, that help make it easier to kind of visualize and put your focus on, but they aren't at all necessary, especially if you're an experienced practitioner. But kind of neat that they exist. So in order to achieve all this, in order to conquer all these demons during the Abramelon ritual, you first have to invoke several angels, archangels, names of God, and your holy guardian angel, among several other pious and spiritual activities, praying and fasting certain diets, uh, cleansing stuff, all, all kinds of stuff. But all of this is meant to equip you spiritually with the armor of God, a reference to Ephesians 6 verses 10 and 11 in the Bible. So using this armor of God, you're meant to overcome the demons and force them to bind to your will. That's the idea. Now, these are a lot of wacky Abrahamic mystic concepts. So what's actually happening here, if you don't believe in anything like that, is essentially you're building up the positive traits of your psyche and growing yourself in critical ways and using that to overcome the negative traits of your psyche and mold those into yourself to be exactly the person that you want to be. It's a lot of deep introspection, and these spiritual ideas and concepts are the vehicles in which ceremonial magicians use to make all that happen in more prompt and powerful ways. That's not to say your experience won't be representative of those mystical visuals. I would argue that they probably should be. That's kind of half the point in why they help uh, and are even existent in the rituals at all. But I make this comparison to show that you don't need to believe in anything for this to be potent, real, and effective. You do need to be open to abstract ideas, but even someone who lacked all belief in anything, like an atheist or maybe even a general agnostic person, could do these things if their head was in the right space and willing to accept these concepts and try them. So this is the main thing the movie gets wrong about the ritual. It's not about making a sort of wish. It's about fast-tracking yourself to gain what you need to achieve your true will within this lifetime. And it's a complex ritual for doing so. Kind of like a cheat code to speed along the, the practice of your general ceremonial magic practice. But even then, you would still need to keep practicing all your life, even after all that's achieved. So in my opinion, it's kind of a moot point to do this, but it is neat that it exists, just like thematic squares and all the other things. Cool concepts, cool ideas that, that people came up with that 
based in some really cool things. And I guess technically you argue that they do work. It's just maybe a little bit more convoluted than it needs to be in some respects, but it's there. It works. It's there for a reason. So yeah, this whole idea of making a wish, that's totally not the point of the ritual at all. So it kind of missed the mark on that. But furthermore, like I stated earlier, the main character continuously makes it a point to state that the magician helping her also gets a wish out of this. So this would just not be true. If the magician is not also doing the ritual invoking their own holy guardian angel, then even if the ritual worked how it's portrayed in the movie and you get a wish at the end, it shouldn't allow him to make a wish because that would have been the main character's angel at the end, not his own. He wasn't doing the work uh, alongside her. He was guiding her through the work to invoke her angel, not his. So there's kind of a discrepancy there, but still... In the context of the movie, both characters do experience all the synchronicities that are caused by the ritual together in the exact same way, from dogs barking to birds hitting windows, demons talking, however crazy these events are, they both experience in, in them in real time in the same way together. It's not an individual experience, it's very much a together experience. So they chose to portray it this way in the movie, even though it's inaccurate, uh, but it certainly makes it all the more eerie, and I think it's a solid choice for the movie. Otherwise, it'd just be a movie about a man coaching someone through some weird-ass ritual meditation, and it'd be very boring to watch, as nothing would happen. <laughs> but uh, either that, or it'd be like weird spooky cuts between her visuals and his reality, and her constantly having to explain what she experienced as, she, as he guides her, which honestly sounds kind of neat, but it's inherently more complex, so that was probably a strategic decision if that idea was considered at all. As far as the wishes go, though, I won't spoil what the main character is after in all this, but the magician wants to wish for invisibility. I find this interesting for three reasons. The first is, he's done this before with success, so I'm curious to know what he asked for then and how that panned out for him, because obviously it wasn't ideal if he needs more out of life. He, he clearly asked for the wrong thing when it went right the first time, perhaps. The second thing is, why invisibility? Invisibility can be achieved outside of the Abe Mellon ritual, and if he's such a well-practiced and experienced magician, he should know how to do this. It's a fairly self-explanatory sort of ritual once you're kind of in the game, and it just takes a lot of discipline and practice to make it permanent if that's what you truly want. So it just seems kind of like a waste of a divine wish that you get. The last point, though, is that I do very much enjoy how accurately this magician describes invisibility. He's very clear in stating that it's not going to make him literally non-existent to sight, but rather imperceptible and unnoticed as he lives his life. When someone practices and puts energy into invisibility uh, within ceremonial magic, like I said, this is actually a thing that you can do, um, it can manifest in many ways. But it's not going to be like a superpower that disobeys science and the laws of physics. But it can manifest its ways such as purposeful self-isolation, dressing or acting differently so you go unnoticed by others, or navigating your life in such a way where you are never noticed by others at all, even though they technically see you. It's more of a state of being and a state of mind more than it is a superpower. It's how you act and how you think. But the severity in which this magician seemed to desire this trait of invisibility was a bit more supernatural in that he just wanted it to be done and no extra work outside of the Abraham Mellon ritual. And, and he just really wanted to be left alone. That's why he wanted invisibility. He wanted to live his life in solitude and never be bothered again. 
So I thought it was really cool that he actually described what real magical invisibility looks like, even though the path being taken to achieve it was one that was more mystical and supernatural in nature. In all, this movie really did a good job to shine a light on some mental health stuff, which is a smaller focus of today's episode that we're now going to get into. So on that side of things, the main character is grieving and has been for a long time, and they're just not handling it well, which is why she's ultimately turning to ceremonial magic. Now, she does misunderstand what she's getting into and ultimately misses the point, at least at first. She does find what she needs in the end to grow, but I think this is relatable to many practitioners, myself included. Just this idea of desperation and, and willing to try anything. I know when I started on my own spiritual path, I was experiencing a lot of pain and grief and depression, and I was willing to try anything to get out of it, even investing energy into ideas that I didn't personally believe in. I found ceremonial magic, and I thought it was a promising path because it didn't just bring others who practiced it out of the rut they were in, but it launched them into the person they wanted to become permanently. Seeing this continuous and, and reproducible success, it wasn't just by chance or anything like that. It's you put in work and get an output. Seeing this in combination with um, it being tied to parallels and other established practices in spirituality and meditation made ceremonial magic all the more plausible for me to grasp and accept that it might actually work for me. Lo and behold, here I am, almost five years later, give or take, and I'm a practicing Thelemic priest, whatever the hell that means, so it's safe to say, so far, so good. I still have a lot of work to do, and I'm far from healed, but I am healing, and I'm glad I'm doing this. It's worth it to me. The magician in our story, on the other hand, has succumbed to the off-documented struggle that many other practitioners in ceremonial magic history have also fallen into. That is, loneliness, hopelessness, and isolation ideals that are due to the fact that ceremonial magic can be a very lonely path. And it doesn't work ideally for everyone. Anyone can practice this path, and it is open to all, but the outcome is up to you. And if you don't enjoy it, or find more harm in it than good, then you shouldn't do it. Simply meditating or praying every day can achieve the exact same goals as ceremonial magic, and you should chase what calls to you even if it's nothing spiritual at all, because even non-spiritual things are magic. Everything is magic. Magic with a K is simply a funny looking word that describes how all things work in the world, even the things that we don't understand. So that struggle the magician fell into is one that I personally even feared and considered before beginning down this road myself. And I decided that it will not be an issue for me. And that level of balance and control is also magic in and of itself. So those, those mental health parallels, were just they were relatable to me as a practitioner, and I'm sure they're relatable to other practitioners. And even if they're not relatable uh, as a practitioner sort of standpoint, somebody that's got some skin in the game in this, maybe they're just relatable to you in the terms of desperation and seeking help and trying anything that you can to get yourself out of it. And it's nice to know that uh, even at the end of this movie, as much of a kind of a scary movie as it was, there was hope at the end, and, and they got what they needed. But magic be damned, if you take nothing else away from this other than a half-assed scholarly take on a movie's portrayal for some esoteric bullshit, and then a quick pep talk about how it's okay to be yourself and follow the path you're meant to follow, then good. If that's all you took from it, you, my friend, understood the point of this episode. 
go be yourself, go be a human, and just do your best and try not to hurt anyone while you're doing so. That's it for today's episode. Remember to reach out to us at echoesbox.com, follow all our social medias, and leave a comment and such about this episode. Till next time, see ya.